0: We've been, we've been talking about this month not following, you know, the Americanized version of Jesus, but the crucified Jesus. And we've talked about relaxing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus. We've talked about faith. We've talked about hope. Today I'm finishing, you know, this month with us listening to Jesus and living a life of loving one another. So there's two scriptures I want us to go to. You know, John... 15, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. So John 15, I'm going to read a couple of chapters or sections here, starting in verse 1. And this is where Jesus is with his disciples just before he's about to be arrested. They've just had the Last Supper, and now he's talking to them. And he says to them, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And this truth is so important for us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. You know, our, our, our religious practices actually do very little. Our, our intimacy and relationship, our connection to Jesus, that's the only thing that will bear fruit in our lives Fruit that'll last. The fruit of the Spirit. Skipping down a few verses, in verse 12, Jesus says, "'My command to you is this, "'Love each other as I have loved you. "'Greater love has no one than this, "'to lay down one's life for one's friends. "'You are my friends if, if you do what I command. "'I no longer call you servants "'because a servant does not know his master's business. "'Instead, I've called you friends.'" We know that the Jesus told, was when asked what the greatest commandment was, was to, said that was to love God with all our heart, mind, and spirit, and to love our neighbor as ourself. At the end of the day, Christianity, at the heart of it, is love. Not love based on the world, and this love is not a romantic love. Unfortunately, in English, we have one word for love, but in the original, in the Greek, there were five different uh, words for love. And the love here has nothing to do with romantic or sexual love. It is is all about brotherly love, sacrificial love. That's the type of love that, that is being spoken about here. And this thing of us loving one another, I mean, how do we get to the place? You know? that we are actually driven by love. How do we get to the place where we have a genuine desire to will what is good for both our enemies as well as our neighbors? See, it's easy to talk about love when we're like, oh yeah, that person I like, right? You know, that friend of mine. Yeah, I want brotherly love with them. But that person, they annoy me. So do I really have to love them? And this person hurt me. Do I really have to love them? According to God, he lets the rain fall on the righteous and on the run righteous. You know, and, and Jesus in, in uh, Matthew talks about the fact that what good is it to, you know, to love those who can do something for you or those that love you back, that we've got to be able to love our enemy as ourselves. That's what this real love is all about. This type of love is not superficial. It's an absolute transformation that happens on us from the inside out. It's not, it's not a simple Easy, oh yeah, I love people. It's man, the person that's hurt me the most, can I love them? The people I most disagree with them, can I love them? Can I desire the best for them? Can I will what is good on their lives? So how do we get there? Because there's absolutely no way you're going to get there in your own strength. I, I certainly can't get there in my own strength. I don't know anyone that could get there in their own strength. Well, Let's let's look at one Corinthians, uh, pretty much one Corinthians thirteen, where Paul writes a whole lot about love. But I'll start just in the last verse of one Corinthians twelve thirty one, and if you know one Corinthians twelve in the Bible. Paul spends a bunch of time talking about the gifts of the spirit and unity in the church. And here he gives off this whole long list about our our spiritual gifts and and about apostles, prophets and you know and and, and the, the different gifts in the church and how everyone needs to work together and be united. And after him talking about all these spiritual gifts that people can have from healing to leadership to r- finances to prophecy, uh, all ki- tongues, all kinds of things that he talks about, he goes Eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read all of it because it's an important scripture. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And that's a spiritual, spiritual gift, important one. He says, prophecy, one of the most important spiritual gifts. And yet, and he says, he goes, I wish everyone would speak in tongues. And yet here he says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And then he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Then goes on and says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall fully know. Then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three things remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now here's the interesting thing. When we leave this earth and go to spend, you know, and we spend eternity with God, faith and hope go away. The only thing that's left is love. Because we don't need faith and we don't need hope. We've fully received those things. The only thing left for us is love. And the very nature of the connection that we are meant to have with God is love. That we would understand that we are beloved by God. That is the actual entire message of of Jesus. It's the entire message of of the Bible, is that God loves us, that we are loved by God, that he created us for the purpose of connection, and he created us for the purpose of love. Again, not romantic love. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion, as much as a feeling and emotion may be attached to it. It's It's a decision that God made to create us, to say that we're good, A decision to be in relationship with us. A decision to come, you know, to come, for Jesus to come as man, fully God, fully man, to live the life that he did, to humble himself even to death on the cross and die for us to do what we could not do for ourselves so that he could be in relationship with us fully again. That's how God sees you. That's how God desires to relate to you. Not based on religious practices, not based on anything other than love. If we never sang another song, if we never gathered together as a church, that would not change his love for you. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be gathering together, singing songs, we shouldn't be community together. That's an expression of God through us to the world. It's how we encourage one another, we build one another up. But your connection to God is not dependent on any of those things. Your connection to God is dependent on your awareness, alertness of his His connection to you. So many of the things I've been speaking about the last month have been going, hey, we can't have the wrong posture towards God. Our, Our posture has to be being with God. We're not trying to earn his love. We're not trying to get him to love us. We're not trying to prove our worth to him. He's not distant and out there and, and, and looking down on us as the judge. He's, he's going, I love you. I want relationship with you. And this is a love that our society is, it's absolutely, our society is the opposite of this. The world does not understand this type of love. It doesn't understand this type of commitment and would be opposed to it. The Antichrist spirit of the world would be opposed to the absolute love of God. And unfortunately, religion you know, does not often present God in this way. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had no understanding of this love of God. That's why they couldn't understand Jesus. They couldn't see who he was. They had related to God based on rules. But so many teachers and preachers and people today don't understand this love either. People leading churches, you know, groups, denominations, whether it's Christian, non-Christian, they do not understand the love of God. So it's imperative that we are connected to the love of God, that we understand his message in Scripture and that we spend time with him. So how do we do this? Well, St. Teresa of Avila, or Teresa of Avila, she gave us uh, uh, this wonderful teaching on prayer. And really, the only way to connect to God like this is through silence and solitude with him. It's through, through prayer, not of begging him to love him, but a prayer where you sit and experience his love for you. During the pandemic, it's a type of prayer that, that I learned to do, and I think I'm just in the most shallow of waters of it, but I can tell you it's been a life-changing experience in knowing his love and his peace in my life. And so, St. Teresa of Avila explains it like this. She says that prayer is like a well-watered garden. You know? And she, she breaks it down into four parts. She goes, the first part you know, of, of, of this understanding, the first step of this well-watered garden is it's this first step of prayer. It's like, you've got this garden, you've got a water, and you've got a well, and you've got a bucket. And you go and you're, you're dipping the bucket into the well, you know, by hand, just with your hand in the bucket and you're hauling it up and you're going and taking that bucket and you're dumping it, dumping it on the garden. And she said, you know, the, with, with this, where people are at with prayer is they're focused on themselves. They're focused on their words. You know, what am I saying to God? What am I asking God for? They're focused on their work. They're focused on their striving in prayer. And if someone stays in this place, they'll get tired of prayer. It'll wear them down. The second stage of prayer, you know, if you comparatively, it's like now you've taken your bucket and you've got a pulley and a rope. It's a little bit easier getting that bucket down into the well and bring it back up. You still got to haul it and, and put, put the water on your garden. And here in prayer, you know, rather than filling every moment with our words and our requests when we spend time with God, we experience some brief moments um, of just refreshing silence. Just being able to be there with God. It's like, Okay. Just enjoying your presence. I don't have to say anything. The third, <laughs> third level of prayer that she describes, comparing it to this well watered garden, is she's like, it's like now suddenly you've got an irrigation stream that's flowing to the garden. It's not just happening bucket by bucket, but a stream is flowing through and, and, bringing, and bringing water to the garden. And here in prayer there's periods of si- these periods of silence become more common as we entrust ourselves to God and seek his presence rather than striving for a specific outcome The fourth water of prayer it's like rain on that garden And here in prayer it's where there's total surrender with you to God, union with him, like Jesus described, that that we would truly understand that we are in him and he is in us, and that we're passive recipients of his grace. It's the kind of prayer that most effectively waters our gardens and saturates our lives with an awareness of his love. You know, in my, in my life, when I first became a Christian, I'd and, or when, and people would talk to me about hearing God's voice and I'm speaking to them and I see people with prophetic words. So I'd be like, I'd go and I'd spend time with God. I'm like, God, what do you want to say to me? And I just would just keep hearing, I love you. You know, I love you. Every time, I'm like, what, what, what do you want to say to me? I love you. And I just got frustrated. Like, I'm like, why aren't I getting something better than this? Now, the truth is I didn't really understand that God loved me. But now when I sit and pray and what I hear him say, often I just hear him say, James, I love you. But as opposed to being frustrated by that, it's like, oh, yeah, you do, God. You really do. And all these things I worry about, I don't need to worry about, do I? I can be at peace with you knowing that you are God and I am not you. And you don't want me to be you. You're not looking for me to prove how godly I am or how good I am at things. You're looking to me for me to be at peace. You're looking for me to be childlike in my surrender to you. As an adult, that just makes so little sense, doesn't it? And especially in our world that says, be self-sufficient, be totally dependent on yourself, be independent, who does that sound like? Satan. Satan wants you self-sufficient, wants you independent, completely independent from God, that you can take care of all your own needs so you don't need God. God says, will you be dependent on me? Will you trust me as a good father? Will you trust me to lead you and guide you every way that you don't have to be trying to make your own way in this world? That you're not on your own? I'm not, you know, it's this weird thing with us with God. He's not raising us up. He's not raising us us up to be independent of him. He's wanting us to always stay in childlike dependence. Jesus himself said, I only do what the Father tells me to do and only say what the Father tells me to say. And he's our model. And yet we live totally independent from him most of the time. But God's like, I love you. You don't have to be independent from me. You can trust me. You can trust me. To quote from Henry Nowen, He said, "It's important to be alone with God and God alone. It's a place in which you can listen to the voice of God who calls you the beloved. To pray is to listen to the one who calls you my beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved child. To pray is to let that voice speak to the center of your being, to your guts and let your voice resound, in your whole, and let his voice resound in your whole being. Without silence and solitude with God, we remain unconvinced of our worth. Instead, we live each day striving for affirmation and praise and success. Rather than being set free to love others, we will be endlessly seeking to prove our own value. We will labor to water our own gardens by drawing buckets, with the, word, the world's empty wells. In the end, this leads not to love, but to a dry and weary existence. In silence and solitude, we discover something more, that God delights in us too. We discover that we are his beloved children and that his joy is not found in using or controlling us as instruments of his will, but rather as the objects of his love. Once we experience the undeserved reign of God's love, it sets us free from the striving for love that enslaves others. It allows us to ignore the voices of the world telling us to seek power, success, beauty, and relevance. We can put aside these voices with the confidence of knowing that we are are already unconditionally loved he continues and says if you keep in mind keep that in mind you can deal with an enormous amount of success as well as an enormous as well as an enormous amount of failure without losing your identity because your identity is simply that you are beloved by god long before your father and mother your brothers and sisters your teachers your church or any other people touched you in a loving as well as in a wounding way, long before you were rejected by some person or praised by somebody else, that voice has always has been there always. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That love is there before you were born, and it will be there after you die. Peter Schizero in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, writes on this. He said, for the first 500 years of the church, there was a practice of intentional listening that was referred to as discretion and was considered the most precious spiritual gift one could have. It was understood that without discretion, individuals and faith communities could be easily misguided and ruined. In fact, all abbots, of monast- or monastic communities were to be distinguished by their wisdom in discretion. Spiritual leaders who lacked discretion were considered dangerous because they unknowingly gave people burdens they could not bear and offered superficial or misguided spiritual counsel. Discretion is the practice of waiting with prayerful expectation to see what. Unfolds. It has the humility and patience to discern when to leave things alone. Knowing when our interference will only complicate things. Flowing from a space of silence and stillness, discretion gives us, as the Apostle Paul wrote, the keen ability to distinguish between good and evil spirits. 1 Corinthians 12.10 Moreover, it enables us to exercise self control and to wait. One of the most striking aspects of the classical teaching on discretion is the emphasis on humbly submitting our best discernment to wise elders of the faith. Why? So that we can discern what is correct and, in particular, avoid excess of any kind, even of an apparent good. That is why, both in our decision making in general, and when we are considering new and exciting opportunities a commitment to grow in listening and discretion may be one of the most important things we can do this round so is so countercultural to our culture which is wants immediate instant decisions instant gratification that we would learn to be in silence and solitude in god Waiting on him for answers, not telling him the answer that we should have. Recognizing that we are his beloved. Letting him work, not getting in his way, not trying to bring about a particular outcome, not trying to prove our value and our worth, but being still, silent, quiet before him. Being at peace, true peace in the depth of our soul. Depth of our spirit in our union with Him. That is where we grow in our love for God and where true love takes root in our lives. In in the book With, that I've been reading, that I highly recommend, you cannot get it in, it's hard to get, it seems to be out of print. But if you have Amazon Kindle app, you don't have to have their actual device. You can literally read it on your computer. It's only $2.99 on Amazon. So you can go on Amazon, buy this book for $2.99, and you can download the free Kindle app and read it on your computer. Excellent book I'd highly recommend to us on understanding how to be with God. It tells the story of this, of this amazing lady, and I've forgotten her name, but she was a Beverly Hills socialite, wealthy lady, twice divorced and she went and gave her life to serving prisoners male prisoners in Tijuana Mexico and for 30 years she lived in the prison she lived in the prison with these people and just loved them demonstrating the love of god to people that were in horrendous situations that did did awful things that were the rejects of society and she lived in the prison and just brought them love. But she did it out of this practice of, of, of silence and solitude. Of, of prayer. And just l- l- demonstrating the love of God over and over and over to these people. St. Teresa of Avila, or no. Um, oh, come on. Mother Teresa. It's got the wrong Teresa. Person who's called Mother Teresa and in India. She was interviewed one time about prayer. And they're like, well, what does your prayer life look like? And she said, I, I sit with God and I say nothing. They're like, oh, okay, well, well, what does God say to you? He says nothing, she replied. She said, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. But it's in that thing the depth, so it's like, hey, nothing needs to be said. I can be with God and I can literally experience his love without words. And know that I am safe and secure in that place of his love. That for us, as followers of Jesus, followers of the way, it's, it's that knowing of God that that we that we we need if we're truly going to be his light to this world. It's not in our doing. It's in our being with him. And that is how we live out the true gospel message, not the success, Americanized, westernized, uh, uh, go go and live your best life now version of Jesus that's unfortunately so common in the Christian world today. It's only from that place of love that we can truly lay our life down for God. Truly, you know, follow the example of Jesus. Die to ourselves. And want the best for our enemies. And live true love the way that we're meant to. And so I encourage you with this I know it's a lot that I, that I gave out today. I'm going to send the notes to life group leaders. Um, and fortunately, this is recorded, so you can go back and re listen to it again if you need to. May we all learn how to spend time in silence and solitude with God, and, exp- and in that place, experience His love. And know that every single one of us, because of Jesus, are beloved by God. Because it's not based on your behavior. It's not based on whether you're having a good day. It's not based on what you've done today. You are loved. And the more we come to know that love, the more we'll live that love. We love because he first loved us. Thank you so much.